Cappuccino with Constable Brian. Real people, real stories. So my guest for today's cappuccino is a man who was born in Brazil in 1974, fourth degree black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and uh, Master Tonakao, have I got that right? That's right. Oh, that's good right. man, my yeah. coach is, is good. Uh, he's a stuntman, he's a performer, he's worked on The Meg, The Mul- Mulan, Ash and the Evil Dead, The Hobbit, uh, he's been the Pan Pacific Champion No Gi in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in 2010. Pan Pacific Champ in weight in 2014, Pan Pacific Champ in open weight 2017, and New Zealand National Champ in 2018. And those are his students you can hear in the background. Uh, so my very uh, esteemed welcome to Professor Pedro Fernandez. Nice to meet you again, Pedro. He's just bent me in half in a jiu-jitsu class, but he did it with a smile on his yeah, face. that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, we do a pop quiz round to mm-hmm. start off. Yeah. So dinner for five. You're the fifth. Who are the other four guests at your table? And they can't be your family members. Who would you have? Anybody from history. From history? Yeah, anybody Does it have from, to be people that I know? Yeah, it can be people you know. It could be anybody you want from history, wherever. It can be friends. Yeah, it can be friends, anybody. Okay, it would be my childhood friends that I haven't seen in a long time. There'll be Marco Tullio. There'll be Bruno. There'll be Rogério and Renato. Beautiful. What's the most random thing you do outside of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? Do you play like the ukulele or do you do flower arranging or something that everybody would look at and go, Pedro does that? <laughs> well, you know what? I, I really love my garden. Yeah. I really, um, for example, my, my wife thinks it's really funny, but I like to get the apple. I take, always get the seed of the apple or a pear or even avocado and I try to grow it. And I do that with my daughter. My daughter loves it. My wife thinks it's really funny and weird, <laughs> but I do. I think this apple is crunchy. It's really yummy. I wish I, I could have a tree of this apple. That's good. So, you know? Yeah, that's I good. I think that's kind of that's good. weird in a way, but... Yeah, no, that's all good. I have uh, avocado seed growing at the moment. I have a pear tree, and I just got a, a apple tree that I put on the cotton on the on the glass, you know, to get the, the seed Beautiful. to get through. So if you're listening and you're from Tukaha, then uh, just be aware that <laughs> Pedro will be selling you apples in the summer. Uh, <laughs> If you didn't do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which martial art would you do? Um, well, before I started Jiu-Jitsu, I did uh, Luta Livre, which is a <laughs> type of submission wrestling. So, I uh, started that when I was 16, and then when I moved to the South of Brazil, I wanted to keep doing that, but there was no Luta Livre there, so that's when I started Jiu-Jitsu. So, if I wasn't doing Jiu-Jitsu, I probably would be doing Luta Livre, which is submission wrestling. Uh, the best martial art slash action movie of all time is what, in your opinion? Of all time? Mm. Well, I love Bruce Lee movies, yep. but wow. after I started seeing jiu-jitsu moves in action movies, I started to, you know, oh wow. So I would say at this stage, the John Wick Movies are for me the best because they they manage to bring jiu-jitsu into the to the fight scene and make it looking good. Yep. Well, I love that. And he's only a blue belt as well. I know, right? Thank you, Keanu. <laughs> There's hope for me. Anyway, uh, which brings me on to one of my other questions. Bruce Lee versus mm. Hoist Gracie in UFC rules. Who wins? Uh, I think Royce Gracie wins. 
Bruce Lee is amazing, but there was a difference of weights there. Yeah. And um, to be honest, I don't know how good would be actual Bruce Lee's ground. Yeah, yeah. I know he would play some of that, but I don't know, it wouldn't be as good as Royce, so I believe Royce would beat that. Uh, what's the last book that you read? The last book that I read that I, I'm actually finishing it to read right now is The Power of Now. Oh, actually, hey, yeah. my oldest son, uh, this 20, Israel, 20 years old, he read and he told me, oh, you should read this book, you're going to like it. He can't talk? Yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite quote of all time? The fa my favorite quote. Uh, I'll say. Time time will pass anyway, so make a choice now. You know, so that's I mean, there's yeah, a yeah. quote for that. But what I, the meaning is, time will pass. Yeah. All right. So choose now the right thing because the time is going to pass anyway so yep. if you start training jiu-jitsu now time is just going to pass and you're going to be a black belt eventually if you don't train now time's going to pass anyway you're going to look back oh i wish i had started 10 years ago like again using my son as an example he started when he was five i mean uh, six then he stopped now he started again and he looked back and said oh my gosh i wish i was training since i started but now he's really keen, he wants to train, and he's learning really fast. Yeah. But he looks back, I wish I had made that decision earlier. That's good. So you're born in Brazil, in Rio de Janeiro in 1974. That's right. What was your childhood like in Brazil? Because I've read some books on famous people from Brazil, Pelé being the famous, yeah. most famous. And he talks about playing soccer with an orange or a bunch of material because they didn't have enough mm -hmm. uh, money for clothing. And I think yeah. some of us have pictures of Brazil being like one huge shanty town and it's yeah, not no but what was your childhood like in Brazil yeah I had a, a great childhood uh, my family was pretty wealthy while by what my father was alive he was to he used to work on advertising mm -hmm. so we had a very good childhood we lived on the on the neighborhood in, in Rio called Leblon which mm -hmm. is a wealthy neighborhood and uh, I had lots of friends I, I would go to school my school was at I mean was at the beach. I had to walk to the beach to catch the bus to go to school. I come back, go home, have some lunch, and come down play with my friends. That was amazing. That was until I turned nine. Then my father passed away. Then life got a little bit harder for us. My mother had stopped working, but I still I, I was surrounded by lots of friends. Mm -hmm. That's why I really. Um, I, I really have this friendship that I, I really hold on really dear with my childhood friends mm -hmm. that I always keep in touch because they, they really helped me a lot on my childhood. Mm -hmm. um, we, because in Brazil there is a lot of problems, there is a lot of violence, corruption, all that. Living there in a health, wealthy uh, neighborhood, we, we, we see a little bit of uh, problems here and there, someone trying to uh, rob you here and there, so you need to walk surrounded with friends you don't want to be walking by yourself when you were a teenager you mm -hmm. always surrounded with friends that's why we all started doing martial arts some of us did jiu-jitsu some of us did luta livre jiu-jitsu was expensive back then mm. and i couldn't afford when i was a teenager because um, we weren't wealthy anymore mm -hmm. we were living in a wealthy neighborhood but we weren't wealthy yeah. so we was we were like struggling but living the, the appearances you know living yeah. the life yeah, yeah, but yeah. without being able to actually afford that yeah, yeah um so we, I used to hang out with my friends and I was doing the, the Luta Livre back then. And then we 
that's when we decided to move to the south of Brazil and then I was 17. So that was, I mean, still childhood, teenage years. But when I moved to the south of Brazil, the reality then, it was a lot more relaxed. Yeah. A lot more. It was like an island on the south of Brazil. It's like a, the capital of the state of Santa Catarina. That's when I met Tunicão, my master. He was my neighbor. And yeah. then I started training like, like that. Straight That's away. like something out of a karate kid movie. It's amazing because I, the whole south of Brazil is not just that state. It's the whole south. There was no jiu-jitsu. The only one teaching was my neighbor. And your neighbor was trained by one of the Gracies. He was trained uh, up to brown belt by Rickson. Yep. And then, no, no, by Rawls, Rawls Grace. And then Rawls passed away on his uh, uh, paragliding accident. And then he, he trained from brown to black with Rickson. Right. What was that like when you found out that your next door neighbor was a Brazilian jiu-jitsu master almost? Man, there was, <clears throat> there was also a, a phase of my life that was a little bit difficult because the main reason why we moved to the South Brazil is because uh, my older brother, he, he died in a car crash. Mm -hmm. And then my mother got really traumatized and she didn't want to go back to Rio because she said that everywhere she looks, she'll, she'll think of him. So she just wanted to move completely. Mm -hmm. And then we went to the South Brazil, which I hated the idea because I moved, I was moved away from my friends mm -hmm. and I didn't know anybody in the South Brazil. And I didn't know, and I want to keep training because I was really addicted to Luta Libre and there was no training there. So when I got to, to South Brazil and then I found out that my neighbor was teaching Jiu Jitsu, for me it was, oh my gosh, it was like a blessing because mm -hmm. first I had some training to do. I could start training. And second, I knew that I would start making friends yeah. because straight away you start yeah. connecting to people and then straight away I had lots of friends. After a month that I was there, I was already surrounded by friends and that was, was very important for me because I was grieving, you know. Uh, what is it about Brazil? Because it always seems to be kids from Brazil either do, it's a little bit like New Zealand, you know, people look at New Zealand and they go, well, you either play rugby or rugby and rugby mm -hmm. right, whereas in Brazil they look at people from Brazil we do in New Zealand and we go they either do martial arts or football that's right and I'm saying football because I know it is football what is it about right. Brazil do you think that leads kids down that path there seems to be so many kids that just come from nowhere uh, and just seem to do really well at those two things is it is it like the same culture that we have with rugby in New Zealand definitely yeah the, in Brazil the football is the main thing like a baby is born doesn't matter if a boy or a girl, they get a ball. Yeah. You know, uh, like you're saying about Pelé, that he used to play with, uh, you know, whatever they get, mm -hmm. you can kick a ball. You make a, a ball out of paper and you put tape around it, boom, you have a ball, you play. Kids in the slums, they're all playing football. It's just, uh, there's the whole history of Brazil being good at, at football, mm -hmm. which makes us want to be, to maintain that as yeah. well. And it's, it's, I mean, I think, Especially because of it, because we were born into a country that, when I was born, we all, all Brazil is the best football in the world. Mm. Not because we're Brazilians, but we, we, we won that many times. We have Pelé, the best in the world. And then, you know, so for us in Brazil, we, 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 we really like that. We want to keep it. So like, like New Zealand, the All Blacks, are, New Zealand is the best rugby in the world. And I, 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 I agree, I believe that. <laughs> and like a New Zealand, I believe that All Blacks is the best in the world. Like in Brazil, even after Neymar did all that horrible things, the last World Cup they make, we all Brazilians, we all embarrassed of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's such an embarrassment for Brazilians what Neymar did. 
in Brazil, Neymar is not saying less like, oh, the man. People don't like him there huh. because he made Brazilian football look so bad. Even though he's so talented, he made us look like like silly. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So we're really proud of our football, and then I think that's what it is. The thing with martial arts also that you can't forget is that in Brazil, capoeira is really big as well. Yeah, yeah. Capoeira is something that is more Brazilian even than Jiu-Jitsu. Mm. Because capoeira was brought by the slaves. I mean, there was like a... The, the, not brought by the slaves. As part of capoeira was brought by the slaves. But then it was the, developed. It was built in the in the in the slaves. Um, they, they, because they weren't they weren't allowed to do any martial arts. So they could dance. And one of the days they were having their dinners. They have a fire and then they would dance around the fire. And then they started to make that as a fight. And then the... Their bosses, the masters, will say, hey, "What are you doing?" They say, "No, no, we're dancing. It's dancing." And then they play instruments, so they 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 practice their martial arts, dancing. So that was their way to disguise it. So that is a long time ago, right. on the times of the slaves. Right. Jiu-Jitsu came on the early 50s. It was a Japanese martial art. It was the judo that Jigoro Kano student brought, uh, Mitsuru Maeda, Kondikoma. He brought that to Brazil. He started teaching. He taught a lot of people. Grace is included. The Graces made Jiu-Jitsu what it is because they were, well, first of all, Carlos Gracie was, you need to read his book, his biography. Uh, yeah. The guy was, it's not just Jiu-Jitsu, it's a lot more than that. Mm -hmm. he, he created the whole Gracie clan and they all follow his instructions and that became what it is, thanks to him. But that was brought from the Japanese in the early 50s when Capoeira was brought in the times of the slaves. So mm. it's a lot more. Can you remember, because... Lots of people, uh, they panic when they do their first lesson in anything, yeah. particularly martial arts. Um, and I've instructed classes before and I've sat there and you can tell when people are beginners because they try and stay by the door and they're looking yeah. for a quick escape and everything yeah, else. Yeah. Can, and I always say to people, don't be afraid because uh, Pedro was once a white belt as well. Yes. And uh, Tonica, he was a white belt as well. Yeah. Can you remember your very first Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu class and what was going through your head when you did it? Well, I, I, well, the very first, I don't remember exactly the very first, mm -hmm. but I remember the feeling of the, my, my beginning on actual Jiu-Jitsu at Tunicão. Because I had a Jiu-Jitsu experience even before I do Luta Livre, before I did Luta Livre. When I was a child, I had a friend, his father was a black belt, and he was teaching on his, uh, was, there was school holidays, and he was teaching on his uh, playground, teaching just his kids, friends. So I went there for a class and it looked, for me, because I used to do judo as well, it looked like judo class. So, you know, as a kid, didn't really, nothing really sink in. It just looked like a judo class, everybody wearing kimono, so. Hmm. But the first, the first, let's say, the first classes at Tunicão, what happened? I was coming from a Luta Livre background, and in Luta Livre, we used to do a lot of footlocks. Mm -hmm. A lot of footlocks, all the time, straight ankle lock. So I started, I did that, and I, I, I tapped everybody, I rolled it. And they were like, what the fuck, what is that, man? What, what are you doing? What is this? I said, oh, well, it's footlock to skip here. And then the students said, how can you? I said, like this, boom. I said, oh, this is awesome. And then I did another one, and then my master said, hey, what are you doing? I said, oh, uh, footlock? No, this is cheap. This is cheap. Why are you doing that? I said, oh, oh, sorry, I didn't know. I was, because uh, uh, Luta Livre, we do that. I said, this is not Luta Livre here, man. Here we do chokes, triangles, and, and armbars. I said, oh, okay, sorry, sorry. So I straight away got told off, like, badly. Yeah, and then I stopped with footlocks altogether. But the guys I was rolling with, they loved it yeah. because they felt they worked. So you see, that's how it was the footlocks mentality 
back in the 90s. Mm -hmm. If you go in the 90s and do a footlock in a competition, people will boo you. Woo! <laughs> yeah? yeah? That's yeah, how yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was a bit... Um, I, w I was kind of overwhelmed because, I mean, I was 17 years old. I was skinny. I was fighting on um, uh, featherweight. So I was already this height, but I was super skinny. So I was really, I wasn't, I didn't have much strength at all. I was just getting smashed, ragdolled by everybody. Anything I could do was footlock. Mm -hmm. And now I can't even do footlock anymore because my master told me off. So I didn't know what to do. And I just got smashed, smashed, smashed. I just remember uh, being being like uh, exhausted and, and looking to, to the road, to the people rolling. And I must have like a, a, like a face of someone devastated. And then my, my one of my training partners started laughing, looking at me. I said, what? What's up with you, man? You, you look like you're dead. So I'm pretty close <laughs> because I got smashed. And I, I was just feeling like, oh, man, what's the point, you know? I couldn't see me getting anywhere. Yeah. Because back then, again, you, you, you just endure if you really want to keep mm. going. Mm -hmm. Because the, the teachers, they're not going to come and say, how are you doing? Are you all right? Are you okay? How, how's your, what happened? How's your, they're not going to be doing that to you. Back then, the, the ones that keep training are the ones that really want to keep yeah. training. They, because, you know, nowadays I do everything I can to make sure the beginner is being looked after. You know, when I get the beginners to start sparring, I make sure that I let the guys, the, the, because what I do with the beginners, I get them to do positional sparring, mm -hmm. okay? So we practice a technique and then they're gonna spar that particular technique. Mm -hmm. And they're gonna spar the technique against an experienced player. So when I get that sorted, I get the guys that are experienced. So look, this is for the beginners. So you're gonna be here for whatever, 10 minutes, taking turns with the other guys, the other white belts, and make sure that they get the move right. You know, it's not about you smashing them, it's about them getting to learn their move. And that's, you know, that's something that back on the day never happened, mm. at least where I was training. Um, and when you, like, when you come in as a beginner and you do your Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I remember my first lesson, and we did the technique, just like you said, for sort of 15 to 20 minutes. It's like, okay, I've got this technique. I wonder if there's going to be another technique. And then the coach is like, okay, and we're going to roll. And I was like, because I come from an Aikido background, yeah. I'm like, oh, we're going to spend like 40 minutes doing rolls? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, cool, no worries. And then he said, no, no, we're going to. I was like, wow, this is different. Yeah, and I think every beginner in jiu-jitsu, I don't know, this is just me speaking, you, and it sounds like your situation was the same, you don't realise for that first 12 or 14 months it's just going to be that constant grind of getting rolled and getting manhandled. And yeah. that's a, that's a, do you think that's an important lesson so that you can learn how to defend yourself properly as well as um, you can get a good base there to base your techniques from then or not? No, I think it's very important. I think as soon as you learn the basics, you need to start sparring. Yeah. You need to, because that's the reality of Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah. And the good thing about Jiu-Jitsu is that you can roll for 80%, sometimes even 100% yeah. in a safe, you know, not getting injured. No. And, and you really see if the technique that you know is working, mm -hmm. if you're doing it right. It's as close to reality as it gets. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's why I think jiu-jitsu is a, a martial art that when you learn, you actually know if you're actually learning. Mm -hmm. You know, like um, not not taking anything off the other martial arts, but it's easy. It is I think it's it's harder for a striker to to spar often a hundred percent and be safe. Mm. 
and let's be honest, you and I both know martial arts where the master comes out at the age of 60 or 70 and sort of pushes people and they go half a, halfway across the mat and fall over and that's right. stand up and play silly games. Yeah, and yeah, 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 yeah. They should be in a circuit. That, that's, that's not right. really much that, right. That's right. So you start coaching in 1993 in Brazil with Tonico yeah. uh, with his top two students at their academy. What do you think the biggest hurdle to people sticking at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is? Because I've heard stories of, oh, when you get your blue belt, that's one of the biggest hurdles because blue belt is seen in Jiu-Jitsu as that's the time where lots of people get off because yeah. they're just like, the grind is getting too hard for me. Yes. Well, with my experience with that, I've seen so many people, that, that the blue belt thing is a reality. That is true. I have my brother, for example, he used, we started training together. He's a blue belt still yeah. because, and we started together, we trained together and he was more talented, but just life just takes a different uh, direction, you know? So what I think on that blue belt thing is, for example, uh, a lot of people want to do martial arts to be able to defend themselves. Mm -hmm. That's the majority, I believe. And when they get to a level of blue belt, they see themselves as not being a beginner anymore. Mm -hmm. They think like, well, you know what? I know how to defend myself. Mm. So I, I got what I wanted. Mm. I wanted to learn myself martial arts. I learned how to defend myself. I'm a blue belt. Well, I know how to defend myself. That's it. So I see that that is one part of it. Another is also... You get to the blue belt, you know quite a bit, and then you go and roll with a purple belt, and you say, <laughs> oh my God, I don't know nothing. <sighs> and then sometimes people get overwhelmed with the amount of things that are there to be learned in Jiu-Jitsu, and in, in, in life. I see, I mean, I, I've been training Jiu-Jitsu for a long time, and I'm still learning. Mm -hmm. And I love this thing about Jiu-Jitsu that you're always going to be learning. Because you can't know everything. No. There's too much to learn. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I like this game. Let's say I like to do uh, Butterfly God. I, I know everything. It has to be everything about Butterfly God. Doing, passing, blah, 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 blah. As soon as the guy's standing up, I, there's no Butterfly God anymore. Mm. Okay. Do I know what to do when the guy's standing up? Oh, my gosh. There's a whole other game. All right. There's a Lahiva God. Okay. So I do the Lahiva God. I learn everything. It has to be there about the Lahiva God. And then the guy get out of the Lahiva God. And now we on... Spider God, oh my gosh, do I know Spider God? Here we go. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. you branched out to any direction, any type of God, any type of uh, position there is, and there's hundreds, if not thousands, of yeah. options on that particular branch that you branched out. Yeah. So people, when they get to Blue Belt, they think they know a lot, and they realize that they don't know nothing really. Some is sometimes a bit overwhelming. They kind of just give up. Mm. You know. If uh, somebody was starting Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, what would you say is the most important piece of advice for them? So let's say somebody's just come into, your, into the Tukaha and they've said, oh, I want to get better at this. And second lesson, they come and see you and say, what should I do to get better? Because I feel, and it, you do, you feel like a fish out of water. Yeah. And you feel like you're just basically, I know my first lesson I spent looking at the clock going, if I can not tap out for a minute, one out of five would be good. Yeah, yeah. I'm now down to about 45 seconds, so it's good, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, what would you say to them? Well, I think the main thing for someone that wants to, to be good at Jiu-Jitsu, to just want to endure, is leave your ego outside. Mm. Don't, don't come to the to training uh, seeing Jiu-Jitsu as an actual, like, it is a fight, but 
I, I, we're not coming here to beat anybody up like badly. No. You're here to learn together. So the person coming to, they, they don't know, they don't have the mentality yet. So they come here and they see all these guys and everybody's going hard. Yeah, we are going hard, but at the same time, we are looking after each other mm. because we need each other. If I smash everybody, I have nothing, no one left to train with and I can't train if I don't have anybody to train no. with. So that's something. The main thing is leave your ego outside and be patient. Leave your ego outside, why? Because you will have to tap. If you don't tap, you're going to get injured. That's just part of it. And yeah. thank God we can tap. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to be good at this. Yeah, exactly. if you, first submission, you don't tap, you're dead. That's it. You can't train anymore. You're dead. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, get your arm break. Oh, I can't come back for another three months now. I can't train. Yeah. I couldn't tap. So, you know, tap early, tap often. Yeah. You know, that no nothing wrong with tapping. I tap. I still tap. You didn't tap with me. Well, but you didn't, yeah. you, didn't get the, I didn't, you didn't give me the opportunity. But the thing is, I'm saying is, for example, because I'm always learning, I will put myself in positions that I'm not 100% sure what I'm doing. Because mm -hmm. I need to. I can't just be doing what I'm good at. Otherwise, what's the point? I want to keep learning. So I'm training this other guy that I haven't been doing. I put myself in an awkward position. Boom. Leg lock. Mm -hmm. I tap. I'm not going to wait for my leg to break and then I can't walk for a few months and then I can't work. I can't do anything. No. Everybody here that comes to training, they need to finish training and go back to work. Do you think that's one of the reasons? Because when I started Jiu-Jitsu, I was just amazed at how friendly everybody was. Uh, you know, you walk in as a stranger and they shake your hand and everybody gives you a hug and says, welcome. Yes. And how are you? Do you think that's part of the reason why a lot of, there's lots of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu gyms uh, or academies or dojos that are so friendly is because everybody has swallowed their ego and they're just like, I'm just here to roll. I hope so. I really, I really yeah. hope that most uh, jiu-jitsu clubs out there are like this. It wasn't back in the day. It wasn't at all. People right. uh, nowadays we cross train a lot. People from different clubs visit and they all welcome. And I make sure that I do with that with my students. I, I'm, always, I'm always friendly. I'm always welcoming to everybody coming from any club. Back on the day, it wasn't like that. If you train with Carson Gracie, you train with Carson Gracie. You don't go visit Gracie Barra. They're not gonna welcome you. Mm -hmm. That was how it used to be. Some places, not here, I don't know in New Zealand, but in Brazil, they still like that. They're mm -hmm. not very welcoming mm -hmm. to visitors. But maybe this changing. It's, it's good that you, you, you're telling me that here, most people, most clubs that you've been, they're all friendly. That's great, because that's, that's what it is about. At the end of the day, man, we, we're hugging each other all day mm -hmm. when you're sparring. Mm -hmm. So it's very personal. It's very, it's very, even if you don't want to, you will get kind of, you know, right there with the person, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's part of it. It's how you want to be really tight. So, you know, yeah. in, in the end, you get intimate with the person. You get friends. Like, man, even if you don't want to, you get to see that person every day. Yeah. Every day you're rolling on a mat. And the other day, you're friends. You know yeah. everything about that person, you know. Like the other day, I out today, one of my students, my, my student, my friends, because I call my students my friends. He just arrived back from, he went to visit his family overseas and then, you know, I haven't seen him in a month. It was, he arrived back today. It was great to see him, you know, and, and he, I was like, oh, he's looking good, man, looking so young. I ah, come on, man. Say, hey, old Tanner, good to see you, you know, that's awesome. Yeah. I haven't seen the guy in two months. You know, that's awesome. Another guy that I haven't, haven't been, uh, uh, Hux, the one with the beard, he's living in Australia. Then he came back. I got to see him today. We took the photo there. It was great to see him again. We I know each other for what, maybe eight years, you know, and because of Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah. So all my friends here are because of Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah, so. well, it's, it's like I say to people, uh, you are 
what you are a reflection of and what you're led by. Um, and I've got to be honest, and I'm not blowing smoke up your rear end here, but Tukaha is probably the most friendliest dojo I've ever been in, so respect Awesome, to you, awesome, thank you. Alright, so Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu exploded onto the world with the UFC in 1993 and Hoist Gracie. Yeah. To those that were already part of the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu world, I can remember, we used to have to watch it on, I think it was VCDs, it had Thai subtitles underneath. Wow, really? Uh, three commentators who knew nothing. Uh, Jim Brown was one of the commentators, he was an American football player, he knew nothing. Uh, you were already doing Jiu-Jitsu yeah. there, what was the feeling like from that inner circle in Jiu-Jitsu uh, when the Gracie family came up with the UFC? Because lots of people, I mean I now I know the story, but Hoist was sort of seen as the weak link in the Gracie. He was yeah. the babysitter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, and everybody said, why well, is not Hickson? Hickson yeah. should be there. Yeah. Um, but what was the feeling inside the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu community? Did you really think that he was going to be able to do it, or did you think, oh, this is going to be like Neymar and type of No, we, we are so confident. And, man, we, we were 100% sure that he would beat everybody up. Yeah. We had no, no doubts because... Uh, when the UFC came out in the world for everybody to see that was when it came out for the world but that sort of martial the Vale Tudo that we call it no host bear that was going on for a long time in Brazil yeah, yeah. We, we had that often you do that in garages that, well, that way we, isn't it man, people would do that all the time people but, but if you train in Jiu Jitsu and then you get into a problem with someone on the street if you are an actual fighter what are you going to where do you train okay we go to the gym we do that on the gym we're yeah. going to fight there I, I never did that but I know of lots of guys that did, and they would, they would okay, have a problem, no, 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 I'm going to fight here, so where do you train, okay, they mark a date, we go there, yeah. we film, and then they fight, no gloves, no time limits, until someone tap out, yeah. or just give up, and that, that was common, that was, so we, we knew that, then when you're going to have a, a jiu-jitsu fighter against someone from any other martial arts, it's just a matter of time, unless you get a lucky shot, but, you know, the whole stance back then, you see, they, they go like this, you know, they keep the chin up. But you think, oh my God, that's crazy. What kind of stance is that? You're going to get knocked out easy. Yeah. But that was their stance. They keep their face away, the kick on the knee to push the guy out, and then boom, shoot for the legs. Yeah. They didn't want to ex exchange fire, uh, punches and kicks. It's just the kick on the leg is to move the guy away, and then boom, you shoot for a, a double yeah. leg or something to put him down. The whole goal was to clinch, to go to the ground. Yeah. Yeah. That was the goal. So we, we weren't surprised with the with the outcome. We, we knew. I was surprised. I mean, not surprised, but because then, as Jiu-Jitsu started, people started to, to be more aware of it. And then it became harder and harder for Royce. When he did fights against uh, Kimu, mm -hmm. which was a massive guy. Mm. And his whole... Uh, his whole style was really awkward and it was really hard to rise to deal with back then. And then we were oh my gosh, so we, we actually can lose. But before that, with all the other guys that Royce fought, we, we knew that he would win. Mm. I mean, at least the Jiu-Jitsu community back then, we were 100% confident. Mm. Why is it so good as a self-defense, you think? Because I get lots of people coming up to me and saying, what self-defense should I learn to join the police? And I'm like, look, you're a, f you're a fool if you don't go and learn jiu-jitsu. Because yeah. it's our bread and butter, wrist locks, yeah, arm locks, yeah, yes. uh, all that type of stuff. Why is it so good as a self-defense, do you think? Oh, I think because it, 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 it's not that hard to get into a clinch. Mm. If you were exchanging punches, if you watch a boxing fight, how often they clinch? Mm. And they don't get knocked out until they clinch. You know, they get maybe a couple of punches on the face, but when they clinch, it's not that hard to get clinched. And uh, it's all you need. It's someone that doesn't know how to fight on the ground. You put him on the ground, they, they 
they're completely useless. They are, they don't, if they don't know anything on the ground, mm. that's like you're in the water and you can't swim. It's pretty much is the best, you know, uh, correlation that I see is that. But I, I believe that for the police, having jiu-jitsu, you see in Brazil, all the police forces, they train jiu-jitsu. Mm. And it's not like they do a workshop. They actually train often. They have dojos on the, on some uh, academies and they train like regularly yeah. and special forces and army all that I believe that's mainly because it's so easy to clinch and if someone's gonna try and attack you some for example for a woman what is the main worry of a woman rape mm -hmm. for her to be raped the guy's gonna have to grab her yeah. and that's all she wants mm. she can do uh, amba triangles back take choke whatever you name it if mm. she trains jiu-jitsu all she needs she doesn't need to try and grab the guy the guy is gonna grab her yeah so he's gonna come to her and try to put her down and, and do a thing and then all of a sudden she's stepping him out putting him to sleep or whatever you know mm, easy yeah um lots of people look at people who do jiu-jitsu especially uh masters like yourself it's like oh mm, that's okay because he's like six foot three oh, and yeah. blah 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 etc cetera, etc cetera. and he's flexible and he's been doing it all of his life and everything else i'm 48 uh i'm not flexible and everything else it's for everybody because uh, you alter your jiu-jitsu to suit your body type and Absolutely. your flexibility. Yes. What's the oldest student you've taught at jiu-jitsu? Can you remember? Because I look at some of the videos from overseas and these guys who are like 74, 75 yeah, yeah. getting their black belts in jiu-jitsu and I'm like, yeah, wow. Yeah, I know. Um, Man, there's no, uh, there's no age limit, you know. No. You can do whatever you put your mind to mm -hmm. and that is jiu-jitsu or anything. Mm -hmm. Whatever you're surfing, mm -hmm. you name it. Whatever yeah. you want to do it, it doesn't matter. You can't let age hold you back. I mean, the oldest that I remember, I mean, here, uh, would be 64. Yeah. Yeah, and he's a white belt. Full respect. Yeah. That's good yeah. work. And he's going hard and he's rolling with everyone. Yeah. And he doesn't let anybody, I mean, any any move that I show, he goes for it, he tries. And, you know, I always keep an eye to see how he's doing. Yeah. He's, he's all right. He comes with his son. And it's great. He loves it. That's good. It's That's amazing. Makes some respect there. Yeah. You've been a champion competitor at jiu-jitsu many times. Do you have a set routine to calm your nerves? Like, do you have a favorite song, a meal? Do you have to have your headphones on when you're doing stuff? Uh, what does your prep for matches look like? Well, I don't have any special prep. What mm -hmm. I try to do, I like to have a game plan for... At, at least lately, I mean, the, my last competitions, I've been going with a game plan. Mm -hmm. And uh, while I'm preparing, which is warming up and kind of mentalizing and, and visualizing what am I going to do, which is my game plan, the moves that I'm going to do, my sequence that I keep, I keep in my mind. So I try to, to be focusing on that rather than be... I don't worry about putting music or anything. I could maybe sometimes, but it's not something that I actually focus on. I focus 100% on, on the fight, mm -hmm. on the first fight that I'll get, regardless of who the my opponent will be, if he's a guard puller guy or if it's a guy that's going to start standing trying to play uh, some judo with me. I always have my game plan and I, I visualize doing it and doing it over and over again. And when I get into the fight, I, I do it. I just go and do it. i rather start the fight winning and try to play on my opponent's mistakes from then on than the other way around mm -hmm. because what I found out with my with time is that when you are losing time flies mm -hmm. when you are winning time is really slow <laughs> <laughs> so, right, I'll take that on yeah. board yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I 
often when you compete or you roll in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, you make mistakes, right? Mm-hmm. And very often we hear people in Jiu-Jitsu talk about part of the battle of doing Jiu-Jitsu is being comfortable being uncomfortable, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So what's your mental reset like in competitions? Like I, I've done this talking to other people who've done Jiu-Jitsu and I've said, look, when I've spoken to Valerie Adams and she throws the shot put, she says, once the shot put's gone, it's gone. There's nothing more I can do about it. So I don't focus on it, I don't worry about it, I just go, next time I need to do this, this and this. Are you the same in jiu-jitsu when you go to put a move on somebody and you can't get, a, let's say, an arm lock on somebody and you think, oh, I can't get the arm lock. Do you just drop it and carry on or do you think, I need to work? Because I've heard from people that have trained with you, you're like four steps ahead the whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's your mental process when that happens? Yeah, you see, on a, I mean, in, on competition is always a little bit different yeah. than normal sparring mm-hmm. because on a competition, obviously, you want to win. Mm-hmm. So the thing, the thing with competition, if you make a mistake, you don't have the the thing is, is always is really um, dynamic. Mm-hmm. It moves really fast. You you can't um, think too much. No. That that's the thing with jiu-jitsu on a competition is. You need to be reacting, so that that's why you want to be drilling and and, and uh, sparring off and your game plan and stuff like that. So it becomes reaction. When is reaction is more effective for you, you know. And if I already have some uh, steps ahead of my opponent, my opponent I know where I'm gonna be in three moves. My opponent doesn't know, so I have that ahead of him. So that's why I like having game plans. So I, I I have like a sequence of attacks that I will go for. And depending on my opponent's react reaction, I go to the left or I go to the right, or I choose plan A or plan B. If something goes wrong on plan A, I have plan B already set. So that that will always depend on my opponent's reaction. Mm-hmm. But I, I like I said, I have no time to to reassess the situation and 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 try to do it a different move. If I have my game plan sorted with with uh, option. A, B, C, going left or right is, is already giving me heaps of options that I can just react mm-hmm. to depending to what my opponent's reaction is. So, with, with sparring at the gym, for example, I don't need to be so much like that. I can't because, again, I want to, I, I, I want more to happen mm-hmm. on a sparring session mm-hmm. because I want to be able to, to learn and, and to try different things. So, when I'm doing a sparring session with my students or, or my highest belts, when it's hard sparring, if I get something and then it's not working, he, he defending well, I'm not going to be persisting too much. I'm going to move on to something else, mm. you know, because then we get more out of the role. Mm. If I get to a position, then my opponent is holding it's holding hard out. But if I if like I had the choke over the chin, I'm going to scratch on his face, it's going to bleed. And how do I go? Yeah. I'm not going to do that to him. Yeah. If it was a competition, I probably would. Yeah. Because I want to get the victory. I want yeah, to yeah. win. Yeah. But if it's a rolling with my students and maybe I have an arm by and he's trying to escape, he's trying to roll out, but the arm is secure, you know, if it doesn't tap, it's going to crack. Yeah. I'll let him go. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's different setups. Competition and sparring at the gym, different scenarios. Mm-hmm. And you don't need to compete in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu to go up the grades here because lots of people make that mistake as well. Mm-hmm. They go, oh, I don't want to do Jiu-Jitsu because I don't want to compete. So you can grade the whole way up? Yes, you see, like it's a good question because when I started Jiu-Jitsu, I didn't want to compete. Mm-hmm. And I, I was clear with my master, I said, look, uh, I will do Jiu-Jitsu, I really like it, but I don't want to do competition. I just want to, it's just to learn self-defense and, and, you know, just to be here with the guys. I don't want to compete. So yeah, no problem. No problem at all. The first competition that happened then, I ended up going because I was dating a girl 
there was because it was like this uh, the first competition it was in another state we had to get a bus ride it was five hours and I was dating this girl that lived on that other state and I said oh, well you know I might as well just go because then I can hang out with her so we went I competed I did well and I couldn't believe it I said oh my gosh this is awesome I didn't win I lost the first fight but I, I did so well and I didn't I, I went just to hang out with that girl I didn't really want to compete and I got there I said oh my gosh this is awesome but I was dead I couldn't believe it I said, oh my gosh I think I'm gonna try again <laughs> and then after that I kept trying and then it just got better but here I don't I don't push my my, my students to compete if they want to compete all good mm -hmm. compete that's good experience but you can grade from white to black without even never competing mm -hmm. it's just you know mm. So you come to New Zealand to follow your dream of teaching the gentle art, your words. Yeah. Uh, what were your first impressions of New Zealand when you got here? And why did you choose New Zealand to come to? Yeah, well, when I arrived in New Zealand, it was July. <laughs> so, you know. It's not Brazil. Yeah, no, no. It was cold and rainy and wet, but I was super excited. Yeah. It was a horrible day. Very, very cold, I remember. But you see, I'm kind of used to it because in the south of Brazil, it is similar weather. It is kind of cold and mm -hmm. rainy as well. But it was it was quite overwhelming when I got here. Um, the reason why I came to New Zealand, I have a friend still here, Douglas. He has his gym, uh, Ribeiro Gym, Douglas Santos. We used to train with the same master, uh, Tunicão. Yep. Yeah, we come from the same school. Uh, he was already here. He was here one year before me, and the whole year he, that I was in Brazil, that I was planning, because we, we were friends from a long time, and he knew that I was planning to move overseas to teach. I wasn't sure where yet. I had friends living in California, I had friends living in Australia, I had friend, I had him living here. So I, I had these few options, but uh, I wasn't sure yet where to go. So he kind of kept in touch with me, and he actually was the only one that kept on calling me and letting me know, oh, I mean, come to New Zealand, New Zealand is awesome, always talking good things about New Zealand. He said that there was a good um, people here were really keen on martial arts. There was no jiu-jitsu. There was a lot of uh, Thai boxing, boxing. There was this sport called rugby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And people really, it's really, man, you won't believe this sport here. It's like <laughs> they're fighting, man. It's like tackling all the time. It's all, it's, man, I, I don't understand anything, but it looks like they're fighting all the time. I thought, oh, wow, really? <laughs> okay. And then uh, there was another thing that made my decision was... Uh, I tried the visa to America and I, it was denied and then I tried the visa to Australia and it was denied and then I managed in New Zealand didn't need a visa for Brazilians back then oh, yeah. so okay. I just came to New Zealand straight away and then actually he was in Brazil he went to Brazil and then we came together this was July 2003 mm -hmm. that's when I arrived in New Zealand July 2003 yeah nice a beautiful day uh, <laughs> what have people mistaken you for being not Brazilian? Have you been called, like, my mum's Irish, so she gets called all sorts of stuff. Oh, yeah. Is that where are you from? So I'm guessing you've probably been mistaken for being Spanish and, yeah, even, yeah. 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 Well, if people even, uh, one one person thought that was Maori. I don't know. Really? Well, well that's no, all good. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, well, that's all good. <laughs> what were New Zealanders' attitudes to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu when you got here? Because, like you said, nobody yeah. kind of knew what it was. I I guess by that stage we kind of started watching the UFC, but like you say, there weren't that many schools about. No. Um, 
you know, I can remember having a look and going, no, there's nothing. So I'm just yeah, going to go yeah. do something else. So yeah, well, it was it was difficult, you know, because my like I said, my dream was I came to teach jiu-jitsu, but when I got here, I couldn't. Mm -hmm. There wasn't enough to make a living, you know. Jiu-jitsu wasn't uh, on my mind. It, it was well, you know now, mm -hmm. but everybody knows now. But people here wasn't the people they weren't aware of it. Mm. I tried to, I contacted army, police, security companies, and I sent my CV and um, a whole um, project for, for classes, you know, a whole uh, pr proposal to, to teach and, you know, workshops and stuff mm -hmm. like that. But it was denied by all of them because they didn't they, understand. They didn't, they didn't yeah. know Jiu Jitsu and they saw it's just another martial I mean, they knew there was the traditional Japanese Jiu Jitsu, mm -hmm. there were some places that they had that. But the police forces, the army forces, and all—they all had their own uh, self-defense and 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 program in place. So they didn't want to try anything new. And then it was very difficult. It mm. was very difficult mm. on those days. There, I couldn't really yeah, teach now. So you start Takaha, which is stand strong in today. Eh? Yes. And you often say we're a family, and we are. I mean, the reaction I got today in your dojo was just fantastic. Yeah. And most of those people I've only ever met once or twice. Yeah. Your students become friends, like yes. they all do. Um, we all become friends because we obviously care about one another. You're training with people and you try not to yeah. injure them, so you're, yes. you're right. Uh, you take your training seriously and we train hard. What's been the biggest hurdle in starting your school for you? Well, the biggest is it still is it's kind of ongoing, you know, because I want to, to have my dojo in a central place mm -hmm. where I can have people coming from south, from north, from east, from west. So it's, it's close enough for everyone to come in and, and train. Mm -hmm. The biggest hurdle is finding a spot that's central enough with enough space that I can have a big, big dojo mm -hmm. with parking and with good facilities, you know. Mm -hmm. So this has been, uh, after we left Les Muse, it's been really hard that we moved to Hern Bay to a little tiny garage really where we used portaloos yep you know that yep. was a very difficult time we stayed there for a couple of months then we came here and and now we we kind of you know growing again mm -hmm. but it's still it's not beginning to see how busy the class was you know and night climb night time is busier than that mm -hmm. so i need or i already need more space but again it's so difficult to find a place with all I need in town, central, you know, mm -hmm. and that I can afford to have it. Mm -hmm. So I, I think the biggest hurdle is for me at this stage, it is location. Mm -hmm. Find a, a nice location with. You yeah. have said, I'm just going to turn the page here. You have said, Jiu Jitsu is my life, and I teach and train every day, and it's changed me for the better, and it's made me the man I am today. I'm so thankful to be teaching Jiu Jitsu for a living. Yeah. What's the biggest life lesson that you think you've ever been taught from martial arts? That you never know everything. There's always something to learn. There's always more to learn. And if you want to learn, you will learn. No. You know, there's nothing you can't learn if you want to learn. Mm -hmm. That's for, for everything. Like anytime I'm, 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 going, I'm trying to do something, or my, my, my son, he struggles to, to learn something at school, you know, and then I say, look, do you want to learn this? You, 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 you don't. I know you don't want to learn, but <laughs> this I know. I understand, but you need to so you can go ahead and, and you know do well at school. Do you learn? Do you want to learn? If you don't want to learn, you're not going to learn. Hmm. 
that's simple as that. Yeah. I can tell you ten times the same thing. You're not gonna learn because you don't want it. And I saw that different that that changed with my oldest son. When I was teaching jujitsu to him when he was six, and now that I'm teaching jujitsu to him when he's twenty, now. He calls me, oh, can, can we drill this? <laughs> I said, ah, I see. Back then I had to drag him to uh -huh. teach him. Oh, that's good. So anything that you want to learn, that you put your, your mind into it, you'll get it. I think that for me, that was uh, the biggest uh, life-changing mm. thing because it, it makes me feel like I can do anything, mm. really. You know, mm -hmm. If I really put my mind into it, I can do it. The hardest thing... Oh, wow, it's so difficult because, with, for example, now that I'm doing stunts, I have been doing for a while now, but it's a whole different world, a whole different bunch of things that I need to learn. And and I say, oh my gosh, this is so hard, but I can learn it. And yeah. I want to learn this, so I do learn. Yeah, yeah. It takes a little bit, but I learned. And the thing is, oh, with this moving industry, you need, everything needs to be quick. You need, oh, to yeah. get, you need to get done that yesterday. Oh my gosh, so I, they show me that something, I say, okay, okay, got it. And then you do it. And if it wasn't for jiu-jitsu, uh, I don't think I would be able to, to have that mindset of, no, I can definitely learn that. Mm. doesn't matter how hard it is. Mm. I just try again, 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 and I'll get it. Yeah. Now, yeah, like you just said, you're a member of the Stunt Guild of New Zealand. How did that happen? Did like, you go, oh, okay, I can probably do that. I can take a good fall. I know how to roll. I know how to do this. Yeah, you see, I, didn't, I never thought of that as a profession. It never crossed my mind uh, that part of the of the movie industry, the, the stunts. Mm -hmm. I, I never thought of it until I have uh, my student, Stuart, Stuart Thorpe. He's a stunt coordinator. He's very, very good at what he does and he's addicted to jiu-jitsu now. <laughs> so he started training jiu-jitsu with me in 2011 or 2000, end of 2010. Yeah, 2010, 2011. Uh, to recover from an injury that he had. So he started training jiu-jitsu and then his injury was really bad, it was on a shin, so he, he couldn't jump, he couldn't do a lot of things, so he, we had to start slowly. And um, he go, he improved a lot, his leg, and then he started, and all of a sudden he's all good, doing training normally, and then and then he was doing this job, uh, Spartacus, a mm -hmm. TV series, yep. and then they needed a lot of people for a fighting scene. And then he asked me, would you like to, to try to have a go, and I said, what do you guys do? I say, oh, stunts, do this and that. I say, oh, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, cool. So he took me to to the to the job, and then man, I loved it. It mm -hmm. was uh, was fighting uh, with a sword, and it was you know back on the gladiators days, yeah. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. And then I say, oh my gosh, that's awesome. Completely different than what I do, jujitsu. And the thing also with stunts is you need to make it look real, without being real, mm -hmm. and you need to make it look. I mean, more importantly is you need to make sure you are safe yeah. and the person that you're jamming with is also safe. It's a lot like jiu-jitsu, but you need to make it look like you want to kill him. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. And you really need to look like you want to kill him, otherwise it looks silly. Mm. So sometimes, you know, people get injured and, and stuff like that because we're really trying really hard to make it look as realistic as possible. And sometimes you get carried away. Mm. You know, it's easy to get carried away. Oh, yes, yeah. And I, I'm really, something that I, sometimes I find it hard on, on the stunt work is because I'm so worried about not making, not injuring people, especially from this I come, got from Jiu-Jitsu, mm -hmm. that when I, sometimes it doesn't look as realistic because I'm kind of holding back a little bit. But now I'm learning more. I've been doing that for a while. So I, I learn more how to be realistic and safe at the same time. Mm -hmm. 
and that's something that I learned because I believed that I could learn. Mm -hmm. So another thing that you know, thanks to Jiu-Jitsu, I when I, I I got put in front of these uh, tasks and these challenges, I saw that uh, like as it is as a challenge that I could uh, I could uh, get through. I could I could do it. Now, amongst some of your talents listed, you have fire burns and horse riding, <laughs> and even harness wire work. Right? Yeah, What's yeah. been your biggest or your hairiest stunt where you thought oh maybe this doesn't end so well for Pedro <laughs> yeah well the I mean the latest one that was last year that we did um, a fall in Mulan it was a high fall that we had to do and there was uh, eight of us jumping this cliff mm -hmm. and we had to jump uh, with this mats that we land on it mm -hmm. but there was a bit of a mist Mm -hmm. And we couldn't see the mats, oh, and we look. need to believe. Well, we, we set everything up, you know, everything is right. But that's the thing. I was the last one to land, and I couldn't see it. And I just need to believe that my guys, that my friends that jumped before me, are out of the way, so I can land and not land on anybody. Yeah. And the thing is, the we were using a technique which is, you land on your feet and you roll out of it. Mm -hmm. So to tuck in, it's like a like the paraglider you know when you jump on a parachute and you jump on your feet and you roll on your shoulder it's to take the impact so I practiced that a couple of times on my own when there's plenty of room all good no problem I could do that all day <laughs> but when you're shooting it and you're doing it with all, everybody together you can't roll because they're there yeah so you need to land and just take the impact every time so we had to do it 12 times and every time I had to take the <laughs> impact impact I couldn't roll out so that was the the hairiest one because of that not be, because it wasn't actually that hard it wasn't that high but it's just because of so many times over and over again and you couldn't do the technique mm -hmm. properly it was really hard in the end of the day everybody had a headache the shoulders were all kind of smashed I ended up getting a hernia on my oh, yeah. belly button yeah it kind of push it out Jeepers. yeah I know it's good now lots of people use jujitsu myself included as a form of active relax, uh, relaxation, right? So, yes. uh, you know, it's good for stress. Um, you get comfortable being uncomfortable. Let's be honest, when somebody's squeezing the crap out of you, you tend not to worry about anything yeah. else. It's just like, just get me out of here. Yeah. What does Pedro do to, what do you do to, to relax? Well, I jiu-jitsu like that, man. It is, it is my happy place too, you know. Mm -hmm. It is my job. It is, I know I come here, I need to teach and all that, but... When I'm inspiring, I, I see as a it is a meditation. Mm -hmm. Because what meditation is? Meditation, you sit down and then you try to focus on your breathing or you focus on a mantra or a prayer. You focus on something. Some people like to focus on the candlelight, you know? Mm -hmm. And you just focus on that. Nothing else. Like when you're doing jiu-jitsu, you're focusing on, on the, the move you're doing. And mm -hmm. you need to focus on that. Because if you don't, you know, the thing's not going to go your way. Yeah. Another thing, surfing. I love surfing. Yeah. If I could, I would surf every day. Unfortunately, I can't. It's not my job. Uh, that's a jiu-jitsu thing jiu -jitsu as well. Jiu-jitsu yeah. is my job. So yeah. I can do jiu-jitsu every day. Yeah. I have to. I need to pay the bills. Yeah, yeah. If surfing was my job, I would do that every day. Yeah. And I'll be so happy. But when I'm surfing, it's the same thing. I, you just focus on what you're doing. You, you don't even have time to think of anything else. It's amazing. It's like, it's a meditation as well. So for me, for relaxing, realistically, it's jiu-jitsu because I do it every day. Mm -hmm. But if I could, surfing. Mm, it's like I said to my friends, yeah. uh, you talk about breath control when you meditate and everything else. And that, you know, I said, when someone is trying to choke you out from behind, you'll focus on your breath harder than you've ever focused on. <laughs> yeah. um, now, people have said, and this is true from what I've seen, 
Pedro has a very relaxed and formal and unpretentious way of relating to people. Respect is actually a two-way street in Pedro's association. Yeah. Where do you think you get that attitude from? Uh, well, I I learned my jiu-jitsu from my master, you know, and then back on the day when I started jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu had a very bad image in Brazil mm-hmm. of troublemakers because uh, there was the wealthy kids that could afford the jiu-jitsu and they were like, you know, they just, I can do whatever I want, I can get away with anything. So in Brazil in the 90s, Jiu-Jitsu had a bad image. Also, another reason why I was doing Luta Livre, because we were kind of you know, the Jiu-Jitsu guys. Yeah. You know? And then when I started doing Jiu-Jitsu with my master, I was really surprised that he wasn't like that. He was very calm and relaxed, which was the reality of the island I had moved to, Florianopolis. Everybody there was relaxed. They, they called, the, the island was just a paradise, you know, surfing everywhere, everybody relaxed, no no violence at all back mm-hmm. on those days now it's, it's, it's not as as peaceful as it used to be but back then oh my gosh it was so peaceful everybody relaxed my master was the most relaxed guy and I, I had that from him I mean I, I was always I mean when, when my father passed away I became a little bit rebelled mm-hmm. because I was like why angry you know? yeah. yeah angry yeah. and I, I was just a kid I was nine, nine years old and all my friends, they had their mom and their dad, and they had all that. And I, all of a sudden, my dad's not here. And then I started getting a lot of, a lot, a lot of problems at school and getting into fights and all that. Up to 17 years old, up to teenage years, I was in trouble a lot. And in a way, it was actually good that my mom decided to move to the south of Brazil. Mm-hmm. That's when I got to train jiu-jitsu with my master. And he kind of, he kind of guided me in a good direction because mm-hmm. I had no male uh, figure to follow then. You know, my older brother and my father had passed away, so I had, I was like on that, oh, you know, it could have gone either way if I linked myself with someone that had bad attitudes and bad examples, I would probably turn to the other way, but I linked, I know, I I ended up training jiu-jitsu with him and he was a great guy, friendly to everyone, welcoming, you know, and respectful. I mean, I've seen it, I've seen the other side of him because that was old school mm-hmm. yeah, you know yeah. so he was very nice and friendly with me always but I've seen him being really nasty yeah. and um, rough with other people you know mm-hmm. I don't know if it was already their attitude towards him or I don't know but I've seen him being very mean with some people but he was always super nice to me um, and another thing in, in, Brazil, in Rio before I moved to the South Brazil like I said, I had a whole bunch of friends that I, I actually mentioned to you, like mm-hmm. uh, four. But I have like 40, 50 childhood friends that we still keep in touch because we all used to hang out a lot. And we had that like a, like a gang type of thing that we all look after each other's back. We all kind of walk in the group so nobody get robbed or, you know, so we don't mm-hmm. get in trouble because, you know, in real, anything can happen any minute. Mm. You always need to be aware. You're always looking behind your back, you know. You don't know what's going to happen. Things just happen in yeah. real, just like that. It's a beautiful place, but you, you need to be aware mm. all the time. Mm-hmm. So I think that it could be, I mean, it would be definitely my master's influence that made me a, a, a guy like this. So you finish most of your classes. I'm just trying to think how many classes have I done with you. Three. You have finished most of your classes. I don't know if you do know, know this or not, but you always finish them with be kind and be nice. Why? I loved it. I, <laughs> when you said it, I was like, 
that's my man right there. That's good. That's good. That's a philosophy to live by. That's what. That's the message I always yeah. say to kids and adults and everything else. I'm like, you wouldn't need any police if you were kind and nice. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, is that something you do subconsciously, or is it something that you sort of think, you know, where you go and just be kind and be nice? Yeah, I think, man. I I don't. I think I do that. Just as I don't know. I, I don't really think about doing that. I just do it because I think this. That's it. That's nice. That's yeah. natural, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that, like I like I said, if people were kind and nice to each other, you wouldn't have any. You wouldn't need police, like I say. You wouldn't no. have wars and, and and stuff like that. If in, in a in a bigger picture, if everyone had that mentality, what problems would we have? Exactly. Exactly. Last question for you. And it's a question we always ask. Um, the day of reckoning has come for Pedro, and you're inside your casket, but you can hear the eulogy that's going on. The eulogy. Yeah. What is the eulogy? So, like somebody saying to you, Professor Pedro Fernandez was a lovely man and he did amazing things for the community and everything else. What would you hope that they say about Pedro? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> that's a tricky one. Uh, well, he was. Well, he was a nice guy. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot from him. He he helped me. Well, I don't know. Yeah, he was a nice guy. I think they'll be good. I'll, I'll be happy to hear that. You be happy with that? All right. He'll, he'll be, I mean, I I like I, I helped a lot of people going through tough times throughout mm-hmm. throughout my years of teaching jiu-jitsu. Uh, depression, drug use, yeah. jiu-jitsu. Mm-hmm. You know, I was the I was just the messenger. Mm-hmm. Jiu-jitsu helped them. And I, I, I mean, I don't need to die to to to, to have that um, feeling of gratitude coming my way because I already had quite a bit. I had people coming to me and say, "Man, you have no idea how much you helped me." And mm-hmm. that, I actually, I say, "Wow, well, really, man? What? I, mm-hmm. I have no idea, really. Did I? Mm-hmm. You know, because it's something natural that mm-hmm. we're doing. I love doing jujitsu and I love sharing the 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 knowledge that I have. And when I I see that." Is actually making a difference in people's life. Oh, man, I can ask. I can't ask for anything more. No. You know. Actually, I tell a lie because my wife said, "Ask Peter this when you speak to him." Because oh, yeah. my wife's been around lots of martial artists. Mm-hmm. She said, "When people get a black belt, or they become a sensei, or a professor, or something else like that," she said, "It's almost like you start taking on like this Jedi Knight type quality to some of your students." You know, they're like. Professor Pedro, when I'm doing the rear naked choke, should my left foot be forward here and should I be doing this mm-hmm. and everything else? And then they start coming to you for personal advice as well, like you're this amazing yeah, seer yeah, sitting yeah, on this rock that comes right. up with great philosophy and everything else. Yes. How do you keep yourself leveled? Because it's a real easy game to fall yes, into. Yes, yeah. definitely. And that, you know what, that's uh, it's something that you need to remind them. Look, I am a black belt at Jiu-Jitsu. I've been doing jiu-jitsu for 28 years, but that I'm good at this. Mm-hmm. Like I, I can, I can help you with my my experience that I have in jiu-jitsu. I, I might be able to help with that, but mm-hmm. a lot of other things you would know more than I do. You know what I mean? So someone coming ask uh, coming to me and asking some sort of advice about something that I'm I don't know much about it. I would just be straightforward to say, look, man. Uh, Let's see. Let, let's let's see together. The mm-hmm. Common sense, right? So, I try to to talk to the person, not not telling him what to do, because I don't know. No. This, you're not asking me how to do a de la Riva sweep. You're asking me 
my wife left me and she did that and what do I do? Yeah. I say, oh, yeah. that's hard, that's difficult. And uh, actually, actually, this is something that I need to thank my wife for it because this is my dominium. I, I really know what I'm doing on a mat, but in life, I'm learning more. I mean, I still learn in Jiu-Jitsu, but I know I have 28 years experience in Jiu-Jitsu, so I know a bit, I know quite a bit. But in life, I'm still learning a lot mm. about everything. Yeah. So every experience that I'm coming across, if it's something that haven't happened before to me, I'm, it's the first time. So I'm just learning now how to deal with it, you know? So if someone asks me something that, if someone's going through a bad problem, or all I can do is try to listen. And I think sometimes listening is the, the best thing you can do. Mm. Just get the person to talk and tell you all their problems, let them unload it on you, and say, hey man, don't worry, it's gonna get better. Hmm. Sometimes that's all I'd say. Because quite often, you know, people come and and, and just load the, yeah, yeah, their yeah. problems on me, ex expecting me to have a golden answer to it, and there's just no answer, really. Yeah. It's just let them speak up and tell the problems. Like the other day, for example, there was this kid that trains here with me, and then the class was over, and then his skin ass is training a lot, and is always here. Whenever there's a um, teacher's only day, he's here lunchtime. You know, he's always training. And then uh, the class was over, and then I, I I was coming up, and he was crying here. And then I was like, "Oh, you came, man? What happened? Did you get injured?" I said, "No, no, no, it's nothing, nothing. Oh, no problem, no problem." I said, "Yeah, well, but what's wrong? You're crying." I said, oh, "Yeah, my parents are divorcing." I was like, "Oh, oh man." Sorry to hear that. What do I say about that? Nah, not I say, man. And then I just hug it, give him a cuddle, and you know, I say, look, man, they'll be all right, you know. Hang on in there. Just, just come to train, you know. Don't worry about it. Just come to train, you know. Train as much as you can. And try to keep your head away. But things will be all right. Don't worry about it. We're here for you. You know, we are your family. You know, so come back. You know, don't worry about it. Because his his parents divorced, and so he's kind of losing their family. He's probably thinking about, oh, my family is gonna. I'm not gonna have a family anymore. Mm -hmm. So sometimes, you know, here's your family. We're here. Mm -hmm. Come here. We're not divorcing. <laughs> you, know? yeah. you come here. Yeah. All right, when at lunchtime. Yeah, yeah. And on that note, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, you have my utmost admiration and respect. Thank boss. you. Thank uh, you very much. Uh, uh, it's been really, really good. Um, just learning more about you. Uh, it's been great fun rolling with you as well. I'm Thank sure there'll you. be plenty more opportunities <laughs> yes, for them yes, as well. Yes, yes, I hope and so. And I'm not going to ask Coach Vitor's question, which was <laughs> ask him about no, Vitor. I love Vitor. Vitor, I love him. He's yeah. a great guy and uh, it's a pleasure to have him training with us. So he's a good coach as well. Yeah, he's a very good guy, man. Thank we you very much, to have Prof. Him Cheers. So a big thank you to our friends at Tactical Solutions, www.tactical.co.nz, who have given us a couple of 511 hats to give away to some Lucky Cappuccino podcast listeners. So the question you need to answer, and you need to DM me this on Instagram at Cappuccino Podcast, is the following. What year was Professor Pedro Fernandez born in? What year was Professor Pedro Fernandez born in. So DM me the answer and I'll pick two lucky people to win a 511 hat courtesy of Tactical Solutions. Please know that the competition is only open to New Zealand residents and you can only have one entry per person. Cappuccino with Constable Brian. Real people, real stories. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss his next podcast.